We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into our not-so-instant reaction here on Wednesday night, March 1st. You're on the vault. I'm Bobby Trossett, joined as always by my partner and co-host, Sarah Ellison. And we got a lot to get to, partner. Thank you, first and foremost, for accommodating my schedule. As you can see, I am not in the studio in downtown Baltimore. I am with family at the moment in uh, Florida for our annual Cousins getaway trip for uh, the Arnold Palmer Invitational for you golf fans out there looking forward to that this weekend. But uh, I appreciate you. We got a lot to get into basically breaking down and dissecting the NFL combine press conferences conducted by John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta earlier today in Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lot to get to. Obviously they talked a ton about Lamar cause that was the vast majority of the questions. And we knew that because it's hard to uh, discuss really anything else because it's such a massive deal. It's hard to like, think beyond that and signings and draft picks and all of that, because it's, I mean, if he's gone, do you draft another quarterback? If he's franchise tagged, what do you do in free agency? If he's not, I mean, there's just so many different things. So really that's all anybody could ask about. Yeah. And we've basically broken this thing down into a bunch of different topics. Obviously Lamar will be covered extensively just forewarning. Um, but you know, there, there were a number of other topics that were discussed, too, in terms of the cornerback class. We know that's a need for the Ravens and their secondary, and both John and Eric addressed uh, the depth that they see at that position. We'll get to that later on. And as always, the much-discussed wide receiver position in Baltimore. I thought Eric was very transparent on a number of levels earlier today, and um, we're going to get to exactly why he was talking about wide receivers in that regard too. And I, I know you and I both found that to be refreshing, but it is also reality. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, where are we going to start? We're going to start with Lamar. What are we going to do here? <laughs> well, we're starting with Lamar. And of course, right off the top of his press conference, Eric DaCosta was asked for an update. Yeah. You know, Lamar and I are talking, uh, we met recently. Uh, it's an ongoing discussion. Um, we both understand the urgency of the situation. It's been a good dialogue, a good discussion. I'm optimistic as I continue to be optimistic, um, and we'll see where it goes. And Sarah, you also talked about just the the sheer importance of of keeping Lamar ready. Well, you can't win in this league without a strong quarterback. I mean, that's been proven. So we want Lamar here. Um, we think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's certainly one of our best players, uh, and we want him back. And so, yeah, we understand that. Uh, living in a world without a quarterback is a is a bad world to live in. Uh, and I think there's a lot of GMs and coaches who would probably say that who are living in that world right now. We're aware of that. Um, I think we've been uh, blessed since 2008 to have Joe Flacco and, and Lamar Jackson. And uh, my goal is to continue that. And when we were talking offline, just kind of recapping it together earlier today after the press conferences finished up, you, you mentioned something I, I think you should elaborate on. And that's the sense that you sensed a, a change in demeanor from EDC back from the end of season press conference to today. Can you kind of give some, some thoughts on that? Yeah, I did. And I don't want to provide, you know, false hope or anything like that, but yeah, I mean, John Harbaugh, especially in the off season is always optimistic Harbaugh. He's just, he's always um, just thinking that everything's going to go right. That's, that's how he is. He's very positive, uh, thinks in positive terms. And then if, 
it doesn't go his way. He's not down for long and he just switched up and, and moves another direction. Whereas Eric DaCosta, I feel like in the season uh, review, he was much more, um, I don't know what the word is. Controlled isn't right because Harbaugh was controlled, but he was just much more measured. He was much more measured in his optimism. You would hear him say last time, uh, again, he said, it takes two to t- tango. I can't think of the last time Eric DaCosta didn't say it takes two to tango until today. He never said that today. And instead, what he said on a couple of occasions, and we saw it, we heard it there in, in the clips that you played, he said that I've been talking to Lamar and I've been texting with Lamar. And so it's like, okay, it sounds like there's a tango going on, you know, finally, where, you know, instead of saying it takes two, he's like, we've been texting, we've been uh, communicating, and and we both know the urgency. And the urgency that is coming up very, very soon is the March 7th franchise tag deadline. And then a week after that, uh, free agency opens. So I thought that was very interesting. And then last time Eric DaCosta talks about the weight he felt about this. He talked about, you know, you could just feel the stress from him where he was like, uh, you know, I said to Lamar that this has been tough, but we're both going to feel like a million bucks. Like today, he said quickly, hey, this is a different negotiation process that's challenging. Not talking to the to the uh, agent instead of it's the player. Uh, but he said, he said, I have so much respect for Lamar. And he goes, I think Lamar would say the same thing about me. I've never heard him go out on a limb and say that. So again, I don't want to, pump too much into it. A deal has to get done. Who knows how far apart they are. I don't think anybody really knows as much as people try to pretend they know. Um, so I'm not trying to give false hope or anything, but to me, his, his, uh, demeanor was more positive. Uh, and last time it was more measured and a little bit more tepid. Eric was also asked to, uh, directly, quite frankly, about the franchise tag and the concepts of, of the options that are in play. There's there. a couple different situations where that can go. Um, you know, there's a couple different franchise tags. Uh, we're hopeful that we'll get a deal done with Lamar before that happens. But uh, sure, they're big numbers. We're, we've known they're big numbers. We're prepared for that. And we've got four or five or six different plans based on what happens over the next 10 days. Four, five, or six different plans, Sarah. We know that there's a trickle-down effect, and obviously it's extremely um, impactful wherever this thing goes in terms of team building underneath the biggest decision of them all. But four, five, or six different plans, I think people kind of interpreted that as, well, wait a second, aren't there only three, right? Like the exclusive tag, the the non-exclusive, or a trade. What did you think he meant by the other three? Or a signing. Um, or, a si- or long-term extension. I think it's more the tr- the trickle-down effect that you're talking about where it's like, okay, I mean, for example, if you wanted to go down the trade route, I mean, there could be three or four plans there alone. You know what I mean? Like getting an idea of, of who you could be trading with, what you could be trading, if you're going to get players in return, if you're just going to get draft picks in return, um, all that kind of stuff. So – uh, yeah, I I wouldn't read too much into that. I think he's more saying like, because he, he said it in another place too, where um, he said, you know, we we knew we could be in this position last year at this time and we're prepared for it, you know? And so I think that's him kind of saying, I have planned, I've thought through every scenario, scenarios A through Z, and I have figured out, you know, basic roads that we will take based on all of those different, you know, scenarios that could go down. And so uh, I think that's just saying that that he's he's prepared for every scenario. But I think, obviously, we don't want to gloss over this. He said that, you know, we, we know that the franchise tag is in a week, and I hope that we'll get it done before then. That could just be GM speak, for sure, because they have been saying for over a year that they're optimistic. Uh, so, but but I just think it's more like he's he's ready for all all scenarios. I was particularly intrigued by something he shed some light on, essentially a pact that he made with Lamar two years ago, and I'll cut to that now. Yeah, so that's a a question that I appreciate, and what I've kind of said for the last two years is I'm not going to talk specifically about any discussions about the contract, and Lamar and I had that agreement. Actually, we forged that agreement probably two years ago down in West Palm, and uh, I think we've both tried to live up to that, so 
I'd appreciate the understanding in that regard, the specifics of it. We can talk about the process, but I'm not going to go into all those things. Had you heard of this before, this pact? I had not heard of the pact, um, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I don't know that they were like spitting on their hands and, you know, shaking your, you know, blood brothers or anything like that. But, but my goodness gracious, did we need to hear that there was a pact to know that between these two, between Lamar Jackson, who has been interviewed multiple times throughout the last year on the contract, and he's given up less than Eric DaCosta has, and then Eric DaCosta and this Ravens um, front office hates it when stuff get out. I still remember what the first day as an intern, you know, it was like, if you let stuff get out, you will not have a job here. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was very clear. They're both sides are like uber, uber um, tight lips. They just don't like their business in the media. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. Do you have the clip uh, of him talking about the only camps I know about? I do. Because I think it's kind of in conjunction. Let's Let's hit that. And then I think we can talk about it together. For sure. No, I'm not really concerned about that. Um, again, uh, the only, you know, the only camps that I know, uh, is me and Lamar and we talk and we text. And so, you know, uh, I'm not really too concerned with perceptions. I've seen a lot of perceptions in the last 27 years. And a lot of times those perceptions are probably not accurate. So Lamar and I continue to talk. I have a lot of admiration and respect for Lamar. I think he would say the same about me. And uh, like I said, it's a tough negotiation. There are some dynamics that make it challenging, but I remain optimistic and we remain talking and I'm excited about that. Of course, this was in direct response to Stephen A. Smith's report on ESPN from last week about how he, he said that someone inside Lamar's camp gave him all the information that we covered extensively last week. And, and I'm going to say this right now. I have been leaning on you heavily over the last week when it comes to all of this and maybe the way that the NFLPA is playing a semantics game with the media. I'm starting to catch on with what you've been getting after, and I'd love for you to shed some light the way you have for me. Uh, it's our audience on this. Well, listen, I mean, I don't know anything. I don't have sources. I just have, you know, almost 20 years' experience of covering the Ravens, and uh, I, I know personalities within within the front office, so I don't feel like I'm uh, as easily swayed by the day-to-day rumors um, because I, I know Eric DaCosta, you know, I don't know him. It's not like we were eating lunch every day in the cafeteria or whatever, but I've been covering him for a while. And here's, here's what I know. I know that I cannot remember a time and maybe, maybe there is a time. I cannot remember a time where the Ravens, whether it was Eric DaCosta or Ozzie Newsom, I can't remember a time that they use the media to negotiate contracts. If somebody can think of it, let me know if there's like an exception. Maybe there's an exception or two over, over the years. I can't think of one. I know that that's basically how they run things. Um, and then I also know that I've never covered a player that's as private as Lamar Jackson. And so when I start hearing all these sources, listen, yeah, the Ravens sometimes put out sources. I can remember, um, oh, remember Mike Preston had the opinion that Lamar Jackson, he's like, everybody knows that Lamar Jackson um, doesn't like to work hard and doesn't like to train and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Everybody knows. And then the next day, Mike Preston had a full article that was not a column. And it was, you know, sources said that Lamar Jackson hasn't missed a single thing. So yes, that was that to me. And I could be wrong, but to me, I interpret that was like, yeah, the team, the team got a hold of, of, of Mike Preston and was like setting the record straight. So I'm not going to say the Ravens never like leak any information, but when it comes to negotiating contracts, I can't remember when they have. And it's always agent driven, always throughout all my years of covering, it's it's agent driven. And I know this because I worked on the Ravens website and we wanted so badly to break news about about deals and it was always Eric DaCosta, Ozzie Newsom. It was a kibosh. Until that ink is on the paper, we are not putting that out there. I know these guys. And, and then when you add in that there's this promise between Eric and Lamar that they wouldn't discuss the specifics, which I didn't know a couple of days ago that, that, like we said, that was, that was somewhat new, but I already know these personalities. Um, and then I know 
that the NFLPA has been helping, which was confirmed by Eric DaCosta when he said that's where the leaks came from, then I was like, all right, and this is what we talked about offline. I was like, this is the NFLPA. I don't think this is Ravens versus Lamar. Of course they don't have an agreement. So I'm not saying, I mean, these are business negotiations. They don't have an agreement. But to me, what ESPN has been doing is doing contradictory reporting that makes both sides look bad. And it depends on who you want to believe, right? So if you are a Ravens fan, John Harbaugh, Eric DeCosta, front office, this is my team. No way are they treating Lamar wrong. So then you want to latch on to the Chris Mortensen reports that, you know, what the fully guaranteed was, that it was $200 million in total guarantees. You want to latch on to that. But if you're like a Lamar fan that came from Louisville or Florida and you don't really have a connection to the Ravens, then you want to listen to the Ryan Clarks and the Stephen A's and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, how are we bickering with each other? Why don't we hold the SBN to a higher standard? They're the ones who are putting out conflicting information. And then it was with Stephen A that was the first time that anybody claimed that it was Lamar's camp. And I'm like, hold on a second. We've been doing this for over a year. It's Lamar doing the negotiating. We talk about his mom. I'm not quite sure what his role is, but it's Lamar and his mom. Then we do hear that the NFLPA is advising him. Okay. But to me, that sounded like NFLPA decided to call themselves Lamar's camp. Maybe it's because they are advising him. But um, but no way do I see Lamar calling up media and being like, here's this and here's that. You know what I mean? And I certainly don't see Eric DeCosta in the front office doing it because I've never seen it. How many trades, how many deals, Bobby, have we seen come out of nowhere? And nobody knew about it. Hollywood Brown. Nobody knew about it. You know what I mean? Like all of these deals or we'll find out, you know, a couple hours before. And again, that usually comes from agents. So I was like, something's fishy going on here. And I think it's more ESPN and the NFLPA. And I do think that the NFLPA and Lamar have some common ground and that they both want to get him a great contract. And maybe it's fully guaranteed. Maybe it's not or great guarantees. But where they don't overlap is the NFLPA is thinking of, of everybody. They have their own legacy. They have their own agenda, too. So, um, so yeah, I, I just kind of felt like the whole time it was like ESPN and NFLPA just putting out, you know, different stuff. And, um, and, and I just don't think it was Lamar or the Ravens. And I think that Eric DeCoste is saying, I don't know of any other camp other than me and Lamar. Dang right. None of us do either. No, no, not, not happening. And so, um, so that's where I've kind of been at the whole time. And I'm just illuminating our, our back, you know, offline conversations yeah. there. Yeah. And I know that you were like, wait, is this like, is this team versus Lamar? And I, I've just never bought into that. And I feel like these, what he said today uh, is exactly what my intuition was. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff's persuasive. You know, it's like manipulative, it's persuasive, it's intriguing, it's dramatic at times, right? The Stephen A. Smith report was dramatic inside Lamar's camp. Wait a second, we've never heard that before, you know, but but that did come a couple days after we had heard from, you know, multiple reporters that Lamar and the NFLPA had been involved with one another, that Lamar wasn't negotiating alone, you know, so it does start to kind of add up. And then I thought we did sort of an interesting morning vault early, was it earlier this week or last week where we kind of, you know, you gave some sound from uh, D. Maurice Smith, the executive director of the NFLPA, and 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 sort of you know we even received an email from an anonymous source who who had you know worked in some capacity with the NFLPA about the game, the battle within the battle, essentially of of Goodell versus Smith and what Smith's after for players and and how important this Lamar contract is specifically because of the trickle down effect. And because of what it what could what it could mean for all these guys that are waiting in the wings, like Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert, so it's been um, it's been a circus. But um, you know, I, I appreciate your calming presence and and also your your experience and that you've you know you've been in that building for you know you were in that building for over a decade. So it's it's been appreciated. Yeah, and I just want to add one other thing. Some of the reports are definitely contradictory, <laughs> and I I feel like. I highlighted that in, in a Twitter video. It didn't. It doesn't work as well in in, in audio, which we've only done. Um, but the other thing, some of it's contradictory. Some of it's not at all contradictory. But people, I can't tell if Stephen A. Smith really doesn't know, or if he's 
because he seemed to have been educated on on fully guaranteed versus total in one of the clips I played. And then the next one, he totally reverted back to saying it was insulting. And another one, he's like, well, it's not insulting if you know what I mean? He just kept going back and forth. But some of it that he that he reported wasn't even contradictory, but made it seem that way. And that's where the semantics games comes in. And so it's like the the report that came from Jamison Hensley and Jeremy Feller, right, in terms of fully guaranteed money. The report was uh, Lamar Jackson has, in all of his counteroffers, has exceeded the fully guaranteed of Deshaun Watson. And then the counter report that wasn't even really counter, it was just semantics, said Lamar Jackson has never asked for fully guaranteed money. Well, wait a minute. Though both of those things can be true at once. He can ask for more fully guaranteed money than Deshaun Jackson. He could have asked for $231 million of, say, a $300 million deal. But it's not fully guaranteed. But it's more fully guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson. So you see the, the semantics game there. Then there's more semantics. So then he comes out and he says, and you probably have the clip on this, and, and so I'm maybe setting it up. Then he comes out and says, you know, Jeff Trebek and Josina Anderson both say Lamar Jackson was involved, right? He was involved in the in the offensive coordinator uh, hiring process. And Josina lays out that they had an extensive conversation heading right after Greg Roman was let go, and then that was rolled into the hiring process. Well, then Stephen A. comes out, well, he did not have involvement. He was informed that it was going to be Todd Munkin. Well, again, both things are true at once. Like, what did you expect? Did you expect him to be in interviews? Did you expect him to, like, have veto power? Like, like I don't know. The Ravens said that they would get his opinion, and but, but nobody said that he was going to, like, make the final call. And so that's why they followed up today, and maybe you have that clip of, of how John Harbaugh described it, and it goes exactly along with what Josina Anderson and Jeff Zrebeck has been uh, saying, but and doesn't contradict Stephen A. Smith because Stephen A. Smith didn't contradict it. It's just that he acted like the Ravens claimed that he was going to like make the decision when nobody ever said that. They just said he'd be involved. Well, I mean, so, that's not black and white. You know what I mean? What does what, what does that mean exactly? I've heard different words about it. Lamar and I had a great conversation after the season about every aspect of our offense. Lamar is, I mean, he's 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 uh, he, it matters to him. You know, he wants to be involved in the wide receivers. He wants to be involved in the offensive line. He wants to be involved in the scheme. Uh, he wants to put the best – he wants to be a part of the best offense in football. There's no doubt about it. So we talked extensively the week after the season, that Wednesday or Thursday or whenever it was. And after that, it was all by text back and forth. It's a fast-moving process, as you know. Um, there's no way any one person besides the coach, the, me doing the interviews, I'm the only one that can be fully involved in every interview and do all the interviews. You're not going to have anybody involved with everything – and certainly not a player who's you know preparing to play football, but you do the best you can with that. I did the best I could with that. I think we all did. People like Anthony Weaver, who led the committee, uh, was amazing in the whole process, and uh, all everybody involved in the organization, the candidates that were involved. I learned a lot, and uh, I'm really confident in the outcome. I think it's been said, it's been written, wisdom is in the results, and uh, I'm pretty fired up about the results of that search. We'll get to the coaching staff, by the way, and how that's sort of been ironed out. There's a couple more slots that are open. By the way, one that's been ironed out, I bumped into at BWI earlier today, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that is uh, Willie Taggart, the former college head coach at various programs who has great ties with the Harbaugh family. He was on his way out. It's funny. I posted up at what I thought was just some random gate that was like across from the Orlando one. So I could like survey the scene when they started boarding and whatnot. And then when Willie walked right by me and literally rubbed my shoulder, he was on the phone. I look over. I'm like, oh, that's Indianapolis. Aha, he's going to the combine. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> new Ravens running back coach. That was that there was funny. There we go. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, I think that there's no contradictions here. The Ravens said he'd be involved in the OC process. He was. Everybody interpreted what the involvement would look like. And then if it didn't match up with what you – filled in the gaps. I mean, he never said that Lamar was going to, you know, make the final decision, nor should he. Um, but, but I guess when he originally announced that he's like, yeah, Lamar will be involved. Everybody just pictured in their own minds what that would be in my mind that it was always, you know, Lamar will be in Florida the whole time and they'll, they'll talk via phone or, or 
you know, text messages or whatever, but uh, that's, that's what it was in my mind, but other people may have had something different in their minds. And so Stephen A. Smith could have played on that by saying, oh, he wasn't involved. No, he was involved. And I, there's nobody I trust more than Jeff Zrebeck who tweeted, who has reported several times that Lamar had plenty of opportunities to be involved. So my view is, is that uh, Lamar probably was involved exactly how much he wanted to be involved. If he, if he wanted to be more involved, if he wanted to be in, in Owings Mills, if he wanted to be there, I, I don't think the Ravens would have like locked him out of that. I don't think John Harbaugh would have, you know, not, I think he would have been fine if, if he wanted more involvement. I, you know, Lamar does what he wants to do. And, and if he wanted more say, I think he could have had more of a say, but I, my guess is, is he had exactly what he wanted because as, as Jeff Strebeck reported, he had his, had opportunities throughout. And I'm sure he took care, took took advantage of it to the to the point that he wanted to. A couple more nuggets here from John Harbaugh's press conference as it pertains to Lamar and their future together. Yeah, it's um, yeah, we've been texting back and forth here and there uh, over the last ever since the season was over. So I feel like Lamar's doing really well. Um, it's it's uh, it's just what it is, part of the business. You know, it's what you expect when you have a great quarterback, when you make a great decision in the draft. You know, and I think we. I think Lamar has done a great job in terms of developing as a quarterback and winning football games and competing and doing all the things that he does. I feel like we've done a great job in terms of uh, bringing out the best in Lamar over the years, and uh, and it's just evident in the way he plays, you know. And so he's my quarterback. He's my guy. I love him. And uh, as a coach, I just I'm looking forward to seeing it get done. But it's not easy, you know. It's never easy. It's the business part of it. So, um, but I'm really hopeful and excited, fervently hopeful, and uh, can't wait for it to get done. And partner, how about a couple of little subtle pats on the back for Ozzy, right? When you make the right decision in the draft yeah. to go up and get your guy, you know? <laughs> Definitely. That stood out. And the other thing that stood out, yeah, like I said, he he's just such a positive guy. He's not just hopeful, but he's fervently hopeful. <laughs> like that's such a harbaism. <laughs> yep, it really is. And, and he wasn't done there yet because somebody was, um, I guess, wise enough to ask him if he's even thought about life after Lamar Jackson. Not very much, <laughs> you know, as, as little as possible, for sure. I mean, uh, our plans are for Lamar. One of the things we did, and I, I think some of it was written about, but we, uh, we had all these, uh, went through a process with the, uh, the, the offensive coordinator position. We, we interviewed 14 candidates. We had 21 different, different interviews. Uh, they were extensive interviews on Zoom and in person. And, of course, that comes up, you know, because we're talking about how we're going to build an offense. And all those interviews were based on Lamar being the quarterback. If Lamar's the quarterback. How are we going to build the offense? So that's the direction that we're planning for. Sarah, I wanted to pull up a tweet for our live stream viewers right now. And, of course, uh, for those of you who are going to be listening to this in podcast form, I'll read it to you. It's from uh, the Baltimore Banners now, not the Sun anymore. Baltimore Banners, Jonas Schaefer, who was in Indianapolis he had a couple nuggets from the side conversation that John Harbaugh had with several reporters. Jeff was also in this, Jonas as well. And at the top of this checklist here, a uh, bullet list, I should say, Jonas has, quote, I believe that 200% Lamar wants the Ravens. I, I actually said that wrong. It's supposed to say, I believe that 200%. Lamar wants the Ravens. And uh, that goes back to something that John made clear during the end of season press conference. But you actually pointed it out yesterday that a lot of different media companies, whether it's big Twitter followings or um, headlines or you name it, twisted the way that this question was answered based on the actual question that was asked. Yeah, yeah. So that 200% comment was definitely completely taken out of context. I don't know that it was on purpose. Um, the question last time was, you know, something to the effect of John, um, this, uh, this has been going on for a year. You said last year that you wanted Lamar to be a Raven. Do you feel the same way as you did it this time last year? And he said, Oh, 100%, 200%. Lamar Jackson's my quarterback. So he never said that 200% he'll for sure be a Raven. That was completely misconstrued everywhere. He said he wanted him 200% just as much as he did last year at this time, that that feeling about Lamar has never changed. The rest of the bullet points, by the way, from Jonas, uh, two pass game specialist, Keith Williams will return wide receivers coach still remains um, uh, still 
undetermined that they're still hiring for there and, and safety's coach as well. Uh, third bullet point is that John loves Craig Versteeg and James Urban, two of his assistants, but there's no word yet on their roles for 2023 and beyond. And finally, he sees Kyle Hamilton as a safety with some nickelback flexibility. We'll get to some of that later on in the stream, but we have a couple more Lamar nuggets to to kind of clear up and break down before we go elsewhere. And and let's begin kind of with some just rewinding back to why Lamar was not involved. Well, obviously he didn't play the last six games, but most notably the wild card game in Cincinnati. Uh, John spoke about, well, first of all, he was asked point blank why he didn't play. And because it's just like a one word answer, I'm not going to play it for you. But he said it's because he was injured. He did not travel to or, or play in the wild card game against Cincinnati because he was injured one. And then two. He was actually asked, and this is really interesting. He he was asked whether or not him not making the trip was an indictment on his leadership. No, I don't think so. I think his focus was on getting his himself back on the field. You know, you you can talk all about that stuff, but he was thinking singularly about one thing: rehabbing, uh, keeping the swelling out of his knee as much as he could. Uh, that's all he was thinking about. That's all he talked about. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here's his more long-winded answer on that exact topic as well. Oh, way back when? First impression of Lamar Jackson when we drafted him. um, Humble, determined, competitor. The first thing he said was, you know, I'm bringing a Super Bowl to Baltimore. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm a believer, man. I believe that's going to happen. Kind of getting back to your question, uh, that's you know things 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 are tough, man. It's a tough league. You know, it's tough to win every game. I'm just talking to the guys, my good friends in Philly, my good friends in Kansas City won the Super Bowl, right? My good friends in Philly lost the Super Bowl. My good friends in Philly, you'd think they didn't win a game this year, right now. That's how they feel. That's how it kind of works, and that's how we felt. That's how we felt after our Cincinnati game, you know. And uh, but everybody does their best. Nobody does more than Lamar. I mean, I, I promise you, to your other question back there, I didn't mean to skip over it, but if he could have played just like all of our players, he would have played. There's no question in my mind about that. And he would have played as soon as he was ready to play. You know, hopefully it would have been next week, the next week. I don't know. But uh, never doubt that about Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's going to be out there. He's going to be competing. Uh, he's going to be giving everything he's got in every situation. So not to revisit this months after, but, I mean, that was well, notable. Well, I think it was revisited. He actually was asked the question three times. Um, uh, and I, my guess is, is there, because at the combine you have people coming in either from the national media or from other media markets that aren't national media, but, but elsewhere. So he was asked three times and, um, and I'm glad, I'm glad to hear him kind of stick up for Lamar there. Like everybody was basically, that is what the guy said. He's like, because John Harbaugh at the time was talking about how great of a leader Lamar Jackson was and why he wanted him back for so many reasons. And they're like, well, if he's a leader, why didn't he just go with the team? And John Harbaugh was like, well, because 
He was singularly focused on rehabbing, number one. Number two, he wanted to get the swelling down. That was the first time I've heard them say that. And I've seen people on social media asking, like, why didn't John Harbaugh say all this, you know, during the season? And, you know, some people just don't want to accept this. But whether you like it or not, coaches believe injury information gives their competitors and uh, their opponents a competitive advantage. Like, you may not agree with it, you may not like it, but that is the truth, and it is not John Harbaugh only. He will tell you if it's a season ender, if he knows it's a season ender during the season, or he'll tell you that it's not a season ender. Everything else in between, he doesn't want to answer it. And now during the offseason, you can trust him a little bit more with injuries. During the season, he doesn't, he doesn't want to go there, and most coaches don't. And so he couldn't, like, in his view, he couldn't go to bat for Lamar during the season the way he just did here. Now he's at complete freedom to do so because there's not an opponent coming up next week. So, uh, but there, there was this idea that was like, well, there's still swelling in his knee. Everybody was like, because the Ravens thought he would come back. And then there were reports that there was still swelling in his knee. And so, hello, swelling and airplane rides don't go well together. And if the Ravens had beaten the Cincinnati Bengals, which I think they were good enough to do, if not for that fumble uh, return for a touchdown, and um, had they won, they're still hoping Lamar can come back for a you know a divisional round game, or if they keep going beyond that. And so the idea was like you didn't want him to get any swelling. Then after that game, I went back and looked at the transcripts and that season review. They never asked Harbaugh this question. Nobody did. They asked Eric DaCosta, but they didn't ask Harbaugh. And so um, I was happy the way he, he went to bat. It just bothered me the way that, that question was phrased. Well, is he a leader if he didn't go to the playoff game? Come on, man. Ask about the playoff game. Why are you asking it in that way? Is he not a leader? Lamar Jackson is a leader. Back up. <laughs> you know? can tell I, I think uh he would have gotten a little bit of a different answer from the head coach there if it were in season and that question was yeah. asked but uh, yeah. he's a couple months in the rear view and he gave I thought he had a lot of you know he expressed some patience there for sure but real, uh, real quick I'm seeing a comment that Lamar went to Pittsburgh he absolutely did and I and I put that photo up Pittsburgh was the first game after he was injured and he went to that and he never went to a game again and remember the key to this was is this was all the confusion about whether he'd come back or not, that it just didn't respond. The swelling wasn't going down. And so he never went to another game after that Pittsburgh game, but you're absolutely right. He went to it, but I think they learned that they, they can't be doing that because it was not responding the way they thought it would. So Sarah, if it's not Lamar, it's wide receivers yeah. as we segue into a different topic. And that was certainly one that, uh, that was discussed today. It will be discussed all the way leading up to the draft and, and all off season long, because the bottom line is they have not even come close to fortifying that position group. And as you kind of brought my attention to, you reminded me earlier, boy, did the messaging change from last year's combine <laughs> to this year's, you know, it, it went from, you know, essentially disgust that, that what, what was the quote? What, what was it? What do you say? Uh, last I year? think I, it, wasn't at the combine. it wasn't at the combine. It wasn't at yeah, or offended. He was either insulted or offended. I'll look it up while you, while you play it. But I do remember reporters asking about it. But I don't know if it was last year or two years ago. I can't remember if Hollywood was still on the roster or not. I'll look it up as you play this quote. But it is, regardless, the last time that he was asked about wide receivers, Eric Dacosti was like, I like our guys. I'm offended. Or it was either offended or assaulted. Like I said, I'll look it up. And then today, it's this quote, which is like, Hey, if I had the answer, maybe I'd have better wide receivers. So I'll look it was it up. a much different tune, a very yeah. a, a much different tune. We know this is just a couple days removed from Warren Sharp's list that he put out. Uh, he put together all four years worth of offensive spending league wide. Uh, that was, of course, from Lamar's um, MVP season until now, and the Ravens linked ranked dead last in, in offensive spending. Now, as we covered in the morning vault, there's there were some reasons as to why. Uh, but but of course at the top of the list is is that they just they have not invested aside from draft capital in the position. So here's Eric this time around speaking 
about wide receivers? I would say a lot of people would say the same thing. It's a challenging position to evaluate in different ways. Um, I don't have a, if I had an answer, that means I would probably have some better receivers, I guess. Um, we keep trying. You know, I think there's a lot of things that go along with that position. Sometimes it's, it is tied to the quarterback. Um, and I think it's tied to things like durability. It's tied to, you know, a lot of things. Um, we're going to keep swinging, you know. Uh, there have been some guys that, you know, have been successful players for us that were draft picks. Uh, we've never really hit on that all-pro type of guy, which is disappointing, I would say. But it's not for lack of effort. We believe in what we do. We believe in our scouting. We believe in the system that we have, the scouting system that we have. Um, it's one of those anomalies that I really can't explain other than to say we're not going to stop trying. We're going to keep trying. I think we've drafted, I don't know, Chad would probably know, but probably at least five or six receivers in the last four years, maybe. Um, we're going to just keep swinging, and, and hopefully at one of these points we'll hit the ball out of the park. But that's our goal. Uh, we understand the importance of the position. Uh, you know, so we'll keep, we'll keep trying to do it. So his comment was in 2021. I just looked it up. So uh, Marquise Brown was definitely on there. Sammy Watkins was on there. Um, uh, and then Rashad would have been 22. No, Rashad would have been, Rashad wasn't drafted yet. He drafted Rashad after, after this comment. So he did say in 2021, when somebody asked about the receivers, he said, I'm aware that there's some fan discontent with our wide receivers and our drafting and all that. We've got some really good young receivers. It's insulting to these guys when they hear that we don't have any receivers. It's quite insulting. I'm insulted too, to be honest. I think we've got some guys that want to show everybody what, what they can do. So I, I do think that was like at the time, like, you know, I don't know, whatever. But the point is, is that that was two years ago. And now he's like, yeah, I don't have all the answers. If I did, I'd have better receivers. So Man. I I appreciated this comment. Listen, the one two years ago, he's backing his guys on his roster. And I'm sure some of the guys on the roster today would be like, what the heck? But the Ravens have already made it clear that they are like redoing that room outside of Rashad Bateman. Do you know what I mean? And so I don't know that he has to go to bat for anybody because they've already said they're redoing their the room. They're not, you know, they they don't, they don't. They're not trying to build anybody up. So I think today's answer was much more transparent and um, much more honest. Yeah, you see Jeff's tweet there for, for those of you who are listening in podcast form. Uh, Jeff just reiterated what, what Eric said. He says he sees five or six first round wide receivers there for the taking. And you'd have to think that one of those potentially could be the guy that's been mocked to the Ravens in recent days by Mel Kuyper and, and other draft analysts alike. And that is Boston College standout wide receiver Zay Flowers, who, yes, in terms of uh, physical traits, I guess you could say he is an undersized wide receiver. He stands at 5'9", uh, but he's considerably heavier than Marquise Brown was coming out of Oklahoma. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was around 159, 160 pounds. And, of course, you bulk up throughout the combine process and throughout your, you know, your first offseason as you get ready to go into the NFL uh, and then training camp in Baltimore, obviously, you, you lose plenty of weight. <laughs> we all know that. But um, Zay Flowers put on, he, he kind of made some headlines this week. He's put on 13 pounds as he prepares for the combine. He went from 170 to 183. And while it's early, I'll just say that that Mel correctly mocked. And I know it's different. I know he didn't have it exact. He didn't have the Marquise Brown trade happening on night one last year. But he was all over the Tyler Linderbaum. He's very well connected with the Baltimore organization and, and he's mocking Zay flowers to Baltimore and Daniel Jeremiah, as we've covered in recent days, likes it as well. Yeah, that's not a bad one. I'm a little bit, as people know, or may not know, I live in Columbus. So there's a lot of uh, OSU football going on around here. Uh, so maybe it's because I've watched him more than the other guys that we still need to do. Bobby, we've gone from the season straight into like free agency stuff. And probably a week or two after free agency, we'll be able to dive much deeper into, into the draft. So in, in no way do I have my mind made up about which receiver would fit the best. But I do like Ohio State's uh, JSN. I'm going to mispronounce his name. Jackson Smith Enigma. Something like, I think I got that wrong wait, for sure. Wait, you got it on the podcast. When, when you did it earlier, whenever it was, like a week ago, you got it right that time. And it was yeah. in, in, in Jigba. In Jigba. Okay. Well, I had practiced it for that. 
I forgot it already. So, and I haven't heard his name a lot this year because obviously he was injured, but prior to that, my goodness, my goodness. And then Steve Smith senior did a pretty sweet profile on him too. So, um, so anyway, we'll see, we'll see. I'm all for, I'm all for best player available, Bobby. We know that, uh, I'm glad to hear that Eric DeCosta is going to keep swinging. As you know, I've become a little bit gun shy. I don't, I don't want to waste another first round pick. And because the Ravens have missed so often on wide receiver, I'm like, do we got to do this again? Cause we did it with Hollywood. And then we did it with Rashad Hollywood kind of, you know, he did kind of pan out. It was one of the more successful ones, but then he has to be traded. And then we'll see what happens with Bateman. I still have a lot of faith in Bateman. He's just got to stay, stay healthy. Um, but uh, it makes me nervous that you could have a, a franchise caliber player at number 22, if it's at cornerback or wherever else. And then if they swing and miss again at, at wide receiver, I'm like, dang, you could have had your next cornerstone player on the roster. So that's the only reason why I'm, I'm gun shy, but it sounds like, Eric Tacosta's not. He's going to keep swinging, which is is the right attitude to take. You can't be like, "Oh, well, I stink at drafting wide receivers." Like you got to get better at it. But but hey, I mean, maybe swinging could come in the second round. Should he go and do something that he kind of hinted at today, which is make a trade for a second round pick? He made something. He made a comment today that I think just says more about what he's about and what the Ravens are about in terms of valuing draft capital than it is of foreshadowing, right? But he said, man, I keep looking at the fact that we don't have a second round pick. And it's like, it's driving me crazy. I'm paraphrasing. It's driving me crazy. But then I, I wake up and I'm like, oh, wait, it's Roquan Smith. <laughs> yeah. He's got to keep like reminding himself that. But but it goes without saying, he wants a second round pick. And I'm yeah, not going to but- be surprised if he makes a trade to go get one. Right. I wouldn't be surprised. But just remember, he said the same thing when he gave up his second round pick to go up and get Lamar. And then the next year he didn't have a second rounder and it really bothered him and he never got one. Uh, and to me, if he's going to get a second rounder, I would, what either he's got to trade a player and no, I don't think Chuck Clark is worth the second rounder. Maybe Patrick queen is, is close to that area. And, and so that could be one area. The other area could be trading back. I could see him trading back. And then picking up some extra mid rounders and then trying to package stuff around to get, to get a second rounder. So um, yeah, he may try to try to do that. um, But he wanted to do it after, after he, after he lost the second rounder to get Lamar and he, he wasn't able to. Let's say they go with the best player available strategy, which they love that philosophically for sure. A couple that come to mind. Well, one that certainly comes to mind is, is the JK Dobbins second rounder when they're coming off their, all-time rushing season, you know, in, in 2019, which was Lamar's MVP season. But, uh, and they had needs all over the roster, but they went with Dobbins. Let's say they go with best player available at 22 and ends up being a cornerback. Well, Harbs and EDC both love the depth at that position in 2023. Yeah, there's some good corners. In fact, Coach Harbaugh, I gave him about 10 guys to look at, and he's he's been cranking on them, and he's excited about this class. And I think you've got some some guys that have excellent size, uh, there's a couple guys that are like, man, they're like old school Chris McAllister type guys, body size, body type wise. Uh, you got some great athletes. You got guys that make plays on the ball. You got guys at the ball hawks. You got some physical guys. And so basically you're going into a restaurant with a lot of different things in the menu. And basically, what do you want? And so the question just is, do we have enough picks? You know, we have only have five draft picks this year, which as a drafter, as a guy that loves the draft, that's not a lot. Um, I have to keep reminding myself that our second round pick this year is Roquan Smith, which I'm, I can live with, but I still I still look at that void and I'm like, man, I wish I had that pick. Yeah, I paraphrase that so inaccurately, but you get my point. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. I mean, he wants it. He's 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 a pick guy. I mean, his his whole philosophy is that in some ways the draft is luck. In some ways, obviously not in all ways. And the Ravens pour a ton of money into a gazillion scouts. And they're doing this all year long, but he views it a little bit as each pick as a lottery ticket. And so the more lottery tickets you have, the better chance that, that you win, that you, you hit on it. And so he, he definitely wants them, but he's only got five this year. Um, but to, to be honest, he said, had such big draft classes the last couple years. Uh, you know, you still want that second round pick, but they don't need another 11 class, 11 class draft. Uh, not even all those 11 guys would be able to to make the roster. 
if 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 they did if they had another big one. So I uh, want that second rounder, but I don't know that they need a huge class this time around. Harbs also addressed the need at corner. Uh, it's funny you say that. Yeah, I said I've been I've been watching those guys on tape in between uh, in between interview sessions. So I've probably seen, in my opinion, ten quarterback cornerbacks that could go in the first two rounds. Uh, it's loaded, and they're all they could they're, you know they're all great players. They're all potential starters, first year starters. It's a great crew. And of course, we're talking about this in, in you know in large part due to Marcus Peters impending free agent status as the new league year begins here in a couple weeks and you know Ian Rappaport caught up with Garrett Downing and and kind of alluded to that uh, he felt like Marcus feel and and, I mean there's nothing new about this Marcus has been really open about how he kind of rediscovered his love for the game in Baltimore and he feels like this is home and so that kind of got the conversation started this week and and uh, Eric was asked about where things stand right now between uh, the Ravens and Marcus. Marcus is a free agent. He's a guy that uh, I hold in very, very high regard. Uh, I've had a few conversations with Marcus's uh, agent, who's a good friend, and Marcus is a great friend. He and I have communicated. That will be ongoing. Um, But that's a guy that when you talk about true Ravens, guys that have done a lot for your team, for me, for the Ravens over the last four years, Marcus is on that list. High praise. Flattery. This is why. This is why I, I said in the morning vault today, Thursday mornings, uh, is that I I still think he's going to come back. I just feel like the way the Ravens talk about him, they love him. The way Marcus Peters has talked about the Ravens, he talks about how it's brought joy back to to his life. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of blowups obviously on the sidelines uh, this year, but I think that's more like Marcus Peters is is passionate and I think the Ravens appreciate that, but I actually do think he has got a a good relationship with the team. And my hope would be that he does come back. And what would be nice is if the Ravens could get one of those 10 corners that John Harbaugh is talking about, that's like starter quality, you know, that could, that could start. It'd be nice if you have Marcus Peters and, and Humphrey with this up and coming rookie who, who they feel like can be a starter within year one, maybe not, maybe not week one of year one, but within year one. And it'd be nice if, if these two veterans can, can help develop him and, and Marcus Peters becomes ultimately kind of like your number three corner. And, and you've got, you know, these two guys. Um, and if they re-signed Marcus Peters, I don't think it'll be for a one-year deal. I think it'd be for a two or three-year deal. So you're, you're, you're locking in a guy who's ridiculously smart, who I think is going to be better but really the projection is hopefully that he's number three because you're filling in with the draft. See a lot of people commenting in our, in our live chat feature that, you know, they're a little bit worried about Marcus's not durability. Cause he's coming. I mean, well, maybe durability is there, but, but I guess his, his stamina at this point, you know, because at times he was beat and he was beaten badly at times at the same time, he was coming back from his torn ACL and, I don't want to say he rushed back, but he wasn't ready by the start of the season. And you, you kind of wonder if a full off season of strength training and, and getting that knee back to where it needs to be is going to be impactful enough to see, you know, to get him back to his, what, 2024? You'd hope, but you don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that he's going to be, yeah, the the peak guy that we got in 2019 when when the Ravens traded for him. But again, you have to think he's not going to be getting paid that much either. Number three corner for sure, I would take him. And I, but I do. I, while I don't think he'll be 2019, I, Marcus Peters, I think he'll be better than 2022, Marcus Peters, for the reasons you just cited of, of getting that knee stronger. We have a major discussion point that we have not gotten to yet, and it has nothing to do with the press conferences from the NFL Combine. Tom Pelissero tweeted this out earlier today. Again, we're for those of uh, for those of you listening in podcast form, we are taping this on Wednesday night, March 1st. Uh, the NFL Players Association is releasing its first ever team report cards based on surveying roughly 1,300 players, uh, ranking number one overall in football facilities, staff, and overall treatment of players was the Minnesota Vikings. The Dolphins came in at two, and the Raiders we're at three. Now, none of that is really relevant. It's how the Ravens stacked up in this category. And I wanted to bring it up for a number of reasons. One, the strength and conditioning staff was absolutely highlighted. And two, you spent 13 years in this building. 
So I wanted to get your perspective on a number on a number of these items. But here's basically what players were asked to uh, grade their teams. Eight, eight different categories. The treatment of families, um, nutrition, essentially, weight room, strength coaches, training room, training staff, locker room, and team travel. Those were the eight categories. And here's where the Ravens uh, came in and ranked in those categories. Treatment of families, C+. That was tied for 18th league-wide of the 32 teams. Food service and nutrition, B-. minus. That was tied for 13th league-wide. Weight room, C+, 22nd tied. Strength coaches, highlight this one in red. <laughs> F-, minus, 32nd last. Sole possession of last place. We'll get to that one in a little bit. Training room, C, 21st league-wide. Training staff, B+, plus, tied for 22nd. Locker room is A, tied for 5th. Team travel is A, tied for 4th. Your reaction when you see an F- minus under strength coaches, given what we just learned within the last week or so, that the longtime head of the strength and conditioning program, Steve Saunders, was dismissed. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me let me back up a little bit and I'll react to the strength coaches for sure. I would I'm very curious about the just how the, the voting goes down. I'm wondering how many players vote for each team. I'm wondering which types of players are these rookies who haven't or or guys who are on, on their rookie deals who haven't been out and about. Are these guys that have been around to a couple of different places, all that kind of stuff. And so um so I, I'm just curious what what the how they come up with these uh, and what the process is and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, having said that, I don't know that anybody is surprised <laughs> that the Ravens come in with an F minus with strength coaches. Bobby, we've been hearing players complain about Steve Saunders for years. The Ravens obviously had the injury year from hell uh, in 2020, 2021. Uh, then there was the COVID stuff in 2020, which Steve Saunders reportedly, you know, had a, had a hand in. And so, um, we've heard people not publicly players complain about the strength coach. So, uh, that seems reflective of, of kind of what people have been saying. Uh, so that's that I'd say the one that, you know, that, is not surprising at all is, you know, the locker room, Steve Bichardi just spent a boatload of money a couple years ago and completely redid the locker room. The locker room was already pretty sweet. And then it just got taken to a whole other level. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. I, I traveled a couple times with the team. It's pretty nice traveling with the team, the food you're getting, the accommodations you're getting, all that kind of stuff. The training room, maybe, maybe at this point, it's a little outdated. I remember when it was the the facility was built in two thousand one, so it's been a little over twenty years. Um, and so maybe Steve Bashotti. I mean, again, he pumps a lot of money into that facility. He does see that as like a recruiting tool. So they're always going around and doing something newer and bigger. It, you know, so maybe training room will will come last, come next on that list. Maybe weight room too. Uh, weight room that's interesting to me maybe they're just i don't know the weight room is you have you you've been in it right bobby yes yeah i mean it's a great weight room so i i just don't know maybe there's other ones that just take it to a whole other level throughout the 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 league but um but it's a pretty nice weight room uh i haven't been around probably the thing that surprises me most for sure and i think most fans have been saying this online is treatment of families listen i'm not even a player Okay, I am not a player. And I thought that the family atmosphere was out of the world. And I know whatever's done for us as employees, it's times a million for the players because it's the players who are, you know, selling the tickets and making the money for the Ravens. Uh, I know that they're like, I think it's every Saturday for home games because Saturday travel games, you're traveling. Every Saturday home game, families are welcome in. It's bring your kids to, to, to work day. Every one of those Saturdays, there's there's babysitters there, but they want the kids. John Harbaugh, he talks about all the time that he grew up in locker rooms with his dad as a coach, and that's what he wanted the kids. He wants those kids to have the same um, 
have the same experience. Um, my kids could come in. I brought my oldest son onto the set when I filmed, filmed things all the time. I brought him out to training camp, um, took him into the cafeteria. He met, I remember he sat down with Joe Flacco the year I brought him and, uh, and just sat there and started chatting with him. So that one, I, I, I don't know what that's from. I felt like when I was reading it, they had talked about like a, a post-game area, gathering area. That's easily fixable. So that one is by far the most shocking to me because, like I said, I wasn't even a player, and I thought my family was always welcome there. They had When they came, everybody was so nice to them. Nobody would rush them out. It's like, take them around, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know what that one is. I'm, I'm very, very curious. Yeah, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, was also kind of questioning that on Twitter as well. I saw a quote tweet of his, but uh, I also saw a quote tweet of our old friend Derek Wolfs, and uh, <laughs> he made he made it pretty clear. He said, "Told you the Ravens' strength staff was trash," <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 picture that he was quote tweeting uh, was with the letter grade F minus, and the description is thirty of the thirty two teams in the NFL gave their strength coaches fairly positive reviews. Baltimore was one of the two teams that fell well below the rest, and they were even significantly below the second worst team. So when I saw that grade, I immediately began going back to what Derek shared with me uh, the, the week that the Ravens played the Broncos. And I went on Denver radio. He's got a new show there on 104.3 The Fan. And I kind of flipped the interview. Remember, we did a whole mm -hmm. vault on it. We did a bunch of stuff on it. And I was like, hey, you know, I, I just kind of wanted to hear about what, how your time came to an end in Baltimore. You know, you haven't really, you've, you've, you've given a couple of hints here and there, but we haven't gotten a ton on that. And he, he took direct aim, as we said in the title, you know, he took direct aim at the strength and conditioning coach. And, and in this case, it was Steve Saunders. So um, you just wonder how much of, of this survey when when did this survey get dropped on John Harbaugh's desk? What ultimately led to the decision to move past what maybe is an old school way of strength training in Steve Saunders' case? You don't know. We'll probably never know. But uh, but it's really interesting that all this comes out. And and Derek's not the only guy that's going to be kind of be saying "told you so." I know Matthew Judon uh, after <laughs> he left was was very clear with it with the fire Steve uh, hashtag yeah. that he used a couple of years ago before leaving for New England. So. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That one definitely seems reflective for sure. But, but I, I do hope that? that when, once, once players get, get interviewed, I mean, we, we don't, there's not much we need to ask about Steve Saunders. I mean, we get why that's an F minus. I would very much like to, players to be interviewed, be like, what, what's up with this family grade? Cause like you said, Humphrey already was like, what? And I mean, any guy that I, it just feels like nobody's ever complained about it. And not only has there been an absence of complaints, there's been so many, so many free agents that were like, love this place, family atmosphere, da, 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 da. So uh, yeah, I'd be very, very curious about that. With that, we are over an hour into this breakdown and we've pretty much covered it from, from all angles. Just a couple of things that are still on, on my mind. He raved, John Harbaugh did, about the T. Martin interview for quarterbacks coach. Says it was an absolute no-brainer to promote him. Uh, he went from the wide receivers coach to quarterbacks coach. James Urban and Craig Versteeg, who were uh, quarterbacks coach and running backs coach, respectively, remain uh, off the staff, or at least there's no roles, specific roles assigned to them as of right now. There's two vacancies right now on the offensive staff, not on the offensive staff, on the entire staff. That is the wide receivers coach and the safeties coach. And Kyle Hamilton did have wrist surgery, he confirmed. Am I missing anything else? Just a couple small, you know, little little housekeeping items. Anything you could think of? No, no, I think that's it. Do, do, are we taking any questions tonight? We can if uh, we didn't get too, too many that, that we hadn't already covered. So if anybody okay. wants to, you know, we'll hang on for another couple of minutes. If anybody wants to to dive in on a question that, that we haven't addressed yet, we're, we're happy to do that. And, um, you know, it's been it's been a great stream. I, obviously, this wasn't an instant reaction just because of some of my travels here down to to Florida. So thanks for hanging out late with us from earlier on here. Manuel, he was asking you if we get Hollywood back, which I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, how will Todd use him with He's OBJ with and Bateman? 
That's yeah. Funny. Oh, that's that's good. Cause you, I mean, oh my gosh, I would love a Hollywood OBJ and Bateman. Uh, give that to me. So, um, yeah, obviously I'm not as high on the OBG, OBJ train this year because there's more options. It was more that it was affordable if he came in at the end of the year, but although I wouldn't be against it either. How about we'll finish up with David here because he's been trying to get involved with, uh, with with quite a bit. And, and I mean, come on. Uh, when are you guys going to start being tough on Harbaugh and EDC, David asks. Have you been listening to – I mean, maybe tonight's been an optimistic approach because we've had reason for optimism, but – have you been listening to the show the last like few months? You know, I feel like we're pretty, you know, straight shooterish as it gets. Um, sometimes I got to be tamed a little bit by by Sarah's wisdom, but I mean, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, man. Much love to David. I see he sent us a uh, a uh, you know five dollar you know five dollar love our way. So I listen every freaking day. We appreciate love it, you, David. Man. David, I have seen some of the other comments. We for sure on are on different pages when it comes to John Harbaugh. You've, you know, there's criticism, and then there's you just don't believe it a word he says, and you think he's the worst coach. So we're definitely on different pages, and that's going to be okay. We appreciate the support. <laughs> With that, we'll shut it down. It's been a it's been a great run. If 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 you're interested in supporting what we're building, you can hit us up uh, at patreon.com forward slash Ravens Vault Podcast, where we've essentially built a bunch of different layers and tier membership levels to to get more involved with what we're doing and and also you know throw us a few bucks towards the cause we're committed to doing daily ravens content all year round Um, if i noticed this the other day we actually haven't got we haven't received a rating uh, a review i should say on apple podcasts in over a month and that could we could really, really use some reviews, whether they're positive, negative, or, or anywhere in between. So if you wouldn't mind taking 30 seconds after the stream finishes up, hopping over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows and um and and just dropping in what you think of it and, and where we can improve or what you enjoy, that goes a long way. You can also hit us up uh via Venmo or whatever. And um yeah, partner, we're we're gonna have a morning vault coming out obviously on on Friday morning. And then the weekend begins. So March is here. I mean, free agency is right around the corner. We're going to start to kind of shift gears to hopefully whenever this Lamar thing is wrapped up, we'll have you know plenty of, of breakdowns on roster creation and, and roster building. And then, of course, you know, once April comes around, it's going to be full tilt draft on the vault. And, and I'm fired up about that. Yep. Yep. It's it's uh, content is flying. It's there's never a dull moment. There never is in the offseason that's a, that's common misconception. But then when you have your franchise quarterback uh, negotiation goes on, it, it it's even more, you know, more news, more crazy, more rumors, all of it. For Sarah Ellison, I'm Bobby Trossett signing off from this not so instant reaction to the NFL Combine press conferences from John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta. We will catch up with you later on. And as always, thanks for spending some time with us inside the vault.